Hey, what's going on, everyone? We are so glad you're choosing to take time out of your day to listen to our sermons. Our prayer for you is that these messages would not replace your belonging to a local church, but would only be supplemental in your walk with Jesus. With that being said, we love you, and we hope you enjoy the message today. Thank you guys for leading us today. Hey, so I want to let you guys know this week, this team had a crazy week because on Monday night, they finally launched our young adult ministry. They packed out a house. Yep, we finally got one up and running. Then on Monday night, so they do that. Then they come back on Wednesday. They have first Wednesday over in the chapel. They pack out the chapel with students there, have an amazing Wednesday. Then they have to come back on Thursday and do rehearsal on Thursday. And then they got to get ready to lead worship here on Sunday. And it's a new team. They've only been working together for like the past couple of months. So I really appreciate them leading us this morning. Let's thank them again one more time. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, guys. And John, if you're, if you're watching us today, which I know you are, uh, happy anniversary. We love you guys, miss you guys, hope you're having a good time. Well, welcome to South Valley. My name is Ricky Hemi. It's great to see all of your faces today. Today is Palm Sunday, the first day of Holy Week, and we're going to make a big deal out of Palm Sunday. Thank you to our kids for coming in here and hopping up on this stage and, and doing their thing. Thank you, Ron. Uh, so Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is a big deal in the church calendar, and, and, the, and there's a few reasons why. You see, a, a couple thousand years ago, Jesus, he, he entered into Jerusalem, and when he entered into Jerusalem, what, what the crowds didn't realize, Jesus knew this all too well. He knew why he was headed to Jerusalem, but what they didn't realize, Jesus was coming for a mission. That was going to be his final week on earth. So Jesus, he, he enters into Jerusalem, and when he, when he steps into Jerusalem, there's this, this, this great stirring among the crowds. And, and he has this amazing ministry during this final week. It's so amazing. It's so important. When we talk about Holy Week, we're talking about the ups and downs of Jesus' final week on earth, his step-by-step journey to the cross. And it's so important to the story of Jesus that the gospel writers give a disproportionate amount of attention to that final week. I don't know if you've realized this or not, but Luke's gospel dedicates one-fifth of the gospel to Holy Week, one-fifth. Matthew's gospel gives one-fourth of the gospel writing to this one week. Chapters 21 through 28 is one week in Jesus' life. Mark's gospel gives a third of the gospel message straight on just this final week, chapters 11 through 16. And in the gospel of John, half of the gospel of John comes out of Holy Week. Half of John's gospel, chapters 12 through chapter 21, is all about this one final week in the life of Jesus Christ. And so taken together, one-third of the gospels is dedicated to the events between Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday. The reason why is because it's the most important week of the most important life ever lived. That's Holy Week. Now, on the surface, it appeared that as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, that he was being received as a king, which is how he should have been received. Jesus is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, the promised Messiah, 
The crowds were excited. They saw him coming in. It seemed that they were crowning him as king in that moment. But if you were to read the final week of Jesus' life, you would realize that Palm Sunday was actually a false coronation. Because the exciting cries for salvation, the word Hosanna, we sang that song just a moment ago, Hosanna. It means God save us, God help us. People were crying out, shouting out, save us now, Hosanna. But what we learn is that five days later, the word Hosanna was replaced with what words? Crucify. Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The crowds were so fickle. You see, as soon as they realized that the, the, the king that they wanted to receive and love was, a, was not just going to come and, and wipe out the Romans, but was going to first deal with their sin by dying on a cross, they saw a king of weakness, and so they turned their back on the king. And so five days after shouting out Hosanna, they cry out the words, crucify him. And, and, and what we see in this story is that there are crowds and crowds and crowds. And this still happens today in Christianity in, in different churches around the globe where there are crowds of people who are in one day and out the next. They're for Jesus when it works for them well. They're not. They're against Jesus when things get tough. Today we're going to learn about fruitless followers. Palm Sunday is a message about fruitless followers and the danger of profession without practice. So I'm going to pray, and as I pray, go ahead and turn your Bibles now to Matthew chapter 21, or open up your app, whatever you like to use. Matthew 21, that's where we're going to hang out, starting in verse 1. I'm going to pray, and we'll jump into it. Will you guys pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the people in this room this morning. I pray, Lord, that as we reflect on Palm Sunday, that we would also do the work of looking into our own hearts and into our own lives to evaluate whether or not we have truly received you as Lord. It's one thing to receive you as Savior. It's quite another thing to receive you as Lord, to say that you are king over my life, no matter what it takes, no matter what it means, no matter how hard it is, you are the king and I submit to you, I follow you. We see in this crowd with this Palm Sunday message that there were crowds of people who, who turned their back. I pray, God, that as it's getting harder and harder to become, to, to live for you and to be Christians in this country, that we would not be Christians who turn our back. I pray that we would be Christians who stand firm, Christians who believe even when it's hard, Christians who are about the truth even when the truth may get you canceled. Christians who are all in at all times. And when we lack faith, I pray that you would encourage us and strengthen us by your spirit and give us the faith to restore just the, the joy that we have for you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Matthew 21, verse 1. This is what it says. Now, they drew near to Jerusalem, and they came to a place called Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you're going to find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. 
they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Now, have you guys ever planned a grand entrance I'm talking about an Aladdin, Prince Ali, Robin Williams, genie kind of grand entrance. You guys know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like maybe for you guys won a championship uh, with, with sports, like a Tom Brady throwing the trophy from ship to ship kind of, you know, celebration. I don't know if you've ever planned one of those, maybe at a birthday party, maybe at a champion's banquet. When I think of my life and the best entrance I've ever had and ever planned, it was on my wedding day. So I married my beautiful wife 10 years ago, Carly. Uh, Carly and I, we met in high school. We started dating. uh, And I was so excited that she said yes. And I was so excited that we actually went to the altar and said our I do's. That when it came to the time of our reception after the wedding, I wanted to make sure I had a real triumphal entry because I got the girl, all right? So I was excited. This was like, this was a triumph for me. I was, I was so excited. So the, the coolest thing I could think of doing, I didn't have elephants. I didn't have camels, which I would never, never ride a camel anyways. I didn't have donkeys. I didn't have anything like, but I, you know what I did have? I had a Harley. Any, any Harley fans in here? All right. Yes, I had a Harley. Not a Vespa, a Harley, okay? A Harley. So my thought was, you know what? The best thing I could do, the most triumphal thing I could do is cruise up to my wedding reception with my wife on the back of my Harley. So here's a picture. There we go. Yep. There it is. Triumphal entry right there. Yes. Now, uh, uh, so I was trying to act cool right there, but I'm pretty sure I started crying. All right. And uh, I'm trying to act cool, and, and the DJ just threw on whatever music he wanted. I'm pretty sure he put ACDC or something like that on. So that's playing. Everyone's erupting in applause, and then, and then for some reason I start crying. Maybe I, I blamed it on the dust and blowing in the air. But triumphal entry. You guys ever had a triumphal entry? Walking into something, you were, you were so excited. You, you were a part of something victorious. A triumphal entry. Jesus' triumphal entry was epic. Far more epic than a Harley ride. Far more epic than Aladdin. Far more epic than Tom Brady throwing the trophy from, from boat to boat. Jesus had an epic triumphal entry. And we know this because in verse 11 it says that the whole entire city was stirred up. People from everywhere were coming to see Jesus Enter into the city. Swelling crowds of people were laying down cloaks and palm branches. There was singing. There was shouting. The city was bursting at the seams because this was actually the time of Passover. So on the Sunday that Jesus was coming into the city, millions of Jews were actually entering into the city to celebrate Passover, which was going to happen on Thursday. And when they heard Jesus was in town, there was this buzz, this excitement. 
crowds bursting at the seams, and, and, and everyone was fixated on Jesus. Now, although his entrance was epic, it raises a ton of questions. The biggest question being, why the young donkey? Now, I almost decided to bring up a donkey on stage today. I still kind of wish I would have tried it. And I talked to somebody, and we were, we were trying to work it out, but she's like, well, what if he, like, you know, what if he gets stage fright, or what if he leaves a trail of you-know-what across the stage? I'm like, it'd be, I don't know, realistic, I guess. I don't know. We were thinking about it, but here's the thing. I don't know if you guys have ever been around donkeys or hung out with donkeys or own a donkey yourself, but donkeys are very strange creatures. Did you guys realize that? They're stubborn creatures, they're silly creatures, they're, they're, they're just interesting, interesting creatures. Now, if you ever want to make a, a statement of power, you don't cruise in somewhere on a donkey. Okay, like if I were Jesus and I wanted to make a statement of power, I probably would have had like a lion or something that I walked in on. Or maybe a, a, at least a really nice horse. Jesus chose a donkey. Donkeys don't ooze power. Last, last Sunday, or last Saturday actually, I took my son to Fresno to watch the monster trucks. And monster trucks, they ooze power, right? Priuses don't ooze power. <laughs> Dirt bikes ooze power. Harleys ooze. Vespas do not. Skateboards are awesome. They ooze power. Rollerblades are not, Okay. There are certain things that ooze power and demonstrate power and other things that don't. Donkeys are not on the powerful list. They're on the what is this thing list. Jesus chose a donkey. Now I only recently realized that Jesus riding a donkey was actually a display of power. Even though it was a young donkey, it was a weak donkey, floppy ears, strange creature. It was actually a display of power because Jesus's entrance was was earth-shattering because it was in fulfillment of a 500-year-old prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 says this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, a young donkey. And he'll speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The reason the donkey was actually a power move was because the Old Testament promised that a king like no other A king with a kingdom that reaches across the entire earth. A king that would usher in a season of peace where where your weapons would be turned into uh, utensils used on a farm. The king of peace, the the Lord of lords, king of kings, he was going to come into Jerusalem on a donkey. So Jesus rides this strange creature and it looks like a picture of humility, but it's actually in many ways a picture of power because Jesus is claiming, I am that promised Messiah. I am that promised king. The one who's going to rule across the entire earth. 
The one who, who, who will last forever. Kingdoms rise and fall, but of my kingdom there will never be an end. Kings come, kings go, but my throne will last forever. Jesus was showing the world, I am that promised king. That's Palm Sunday. The people were excited. The people were confused. Now, I didn't realize this until recently, but kings often rode donkeys during times of peace. And so donkeys were the animals you would choose when things were good, when times were peaceful. And that's what Jesus' first coming came to bring. Jesus' first coming was about peace, not a sword. Jesus' first coming was was about a cross. So Jesus came humbly. He came to bring peace. He came to, to make a way for us to get back to God. He was the promised Savior of the world. He was demonstrating to the world that he was the fulfillment of all prophecy. And so initially when people saw him, they, they see the, the prophecy unfold in front of their eyes. They go nuts. They lay down their palm branches. They lay down their cloaks on the ground. And, the, and what they meant when they laid down cloaks on the ground was saying, hey, you could walk on me. I submit to you. You're going to be my authority. You you could walk on me. You are my Lord and I am your servant. And it had every sign and symbol, this initial entry into Jerusalem, had every sign and symbol of a coronation, Jesus Christ being declared king by his people. But here's the thing. Five days later is a very different story. Where were these people on Good Friday? The millions of people, hundreds of thousands of people who are excited to see Jesus come on a donkey, where were they five days later? We learned pretty quickly that the shouts for salvation were actually just empty words. Because the salvation that these crowds were crying for was not the kind of salvation that Jesus came to bring. You see, Jesus was entering Jerusalem, at the same time, hundreds and thousands of Passover lambs were entering Jerusalem. Families were coming with a lamb in tow to sacrifice that lamb, pray over that lamb for their sins, and to remember the fact that God had set them free from slavery in Egypt by, by, by a sacrifice of a lamb, and the lamb's blood uh, uh, painted across the doorway of their house. That's the Passover, right? The, the, the wrath of God, the angel of death, would pass over your house if you sacrificed an innocent lamb and put its blood on the doorway of your house. Jesus was coming to be your Passover lamb. He was entering into Jerusalem at a time where other Passover lambs were being brought into Jerusalem. But those lambs would be sacrificed year after year. People would go to the temple week after week because the blood of, bo- of goats and bulls could never suffice for the amount of sin that we accumulate and debt that we accumulate in our lives. And so Jesus knew that before he could step onto the throne, before all authority in heaven and earth would be given to him, first he had to sacrifice it all. As the Passover lamb. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem humbly, ready to give his life. No one is really prepared for that. The crowds wanted a sword bearing king, but Jesus came as a cross bearing servant. They wanted salvation, 
but not the kind of salvation Jesus came to bring. They wanted political salvation. They wanted to be sovereign. They wanted to have their own power and their own authority. But Jesus came initially in his first coming not to bring that kind of salvation, but to bring a salvation from sin. And so the moment Jesus failed to meet their expectations, the entire world turned on him. And that's because of lesson number one about fruitless followers. And it's this. Fruitless followers, you know what they fear? They fear the crowds. Fruitless followers are most concerned about what others think of them. Not what God thinks of them, but what the crowds think of them. You see, fruitless followers, they like to worship Jesus when he's popular, but they'll reject him when he's not. Fruitless followers, they like to praise Jesus when life is good and things are great and everything is just peachy, but when hard times come, they curse him. Fruitless followers will stand for the truth when that truth is acceptable to others. But if that truth means that they'll be hated for it, if that truth means that maybe they'll be canceled for it, then they begin to abandon it. That's because fruitless followers fear crowds more than they actually fear Jesus. And so one thing that Palm Sunday is meant to teach us or challenge us with is this. Who do we fear? Who do we fear? Are are we more concerned about what others think of us? Or are we concerned about what the God of heaven thinks of us? I just want to put this out there. Jesus says some really challenging things in the Gospels. One of the things that he says that's really challenging is this. Don't fear people who can hurt you and kill you. Fear the one who can not only end your life, but could even damn your soul to hell. That's what Jesus says. Now that's like a really scary thought. But what I want you to see here is this. We often give in to others because we're afraid of hurting other people's feelings or afraid of being thought of as weird Christian freaks because we stand for these certain things. But what, what we really realize, like, the, the most people even do to us nowadays if, if, we, if they don't like us or they don't like what we, what we stand for is maybe they'll send us a mean email, right? Jesus is saying, don't be afraid of a mean email, If you're going to be afraid of somebody, be afraid of the God who made you. And he's not talking about a fear that leads you to dread, but a a, a rightful fear of knowing, look, he's the one who at the end of the day determines what is right and what is wrong, what is true, what is false, who is in, who is out, who is saved, who is not. Who are you going to fear at the end of the day? And what we see with these crowds is they should have been the ones who said, hey, this is God in the flesh. We're here. We're all in. But instead they feared the crowds because they were fickle. They were in one day and they were out the next. And, and, I, and, I, and I feel that and sense that because I know exactly what it's like to do that. I remember back when I was in high school. I went to two different high schools. My freshman year, I went to a Christian high school. My sophomore through senior year, I went to a regular high school. In my freshman year, when I went to this Christian high school, it was very popular to do Jesus things because it was a Christian school. We had chapel every week. 
We'd have camps. We'd have events. Following Jesus, listening to certain music, like everything. Like I did the whole thing. I had like a purity ring. I, I listened to Christian music. I, I did all these things that all these Christians were doing. And, it, and I did it because it was easy and it was the cool thing to do. And then I, gra- I get out of there and I go to a regular school. And nobody at my regular school actually followed Jesus or loved Jesus or was pursuing Jesus. And so as soon as it was not cool to follow Jesus, I turned my back on Jesus and stopped following him. To this day, it still bothers me that I was that fickle of a person. But here's the thing. I've learned that I'm not the only person who has struggled with being a fickle follower of Christ. Because American Christianity is saturated with fickle followers. People who are in one day and out the next. People who follow when it's popular but stop when it's not. People who worship a certain kind of Jesus that meets their expectations. But when Jesus, they see Jesus revealed in the Bible and maybe it's not always the Jesus that they were always all about, they turn their back. And and you're going to be tempted more than ever in in today's society. You are going to be tempted more than ever to turn your back on Jesus. And so let me ask you this. Is Jesus the king of your life? Does he have your fealty? Does he have your loyalty? Don't be guilty of a false coronation. It's so easy to look at the crowds and be like, what is wrong with you guys? You were excited on Sunday. You were angry on Friday. What is wrong with, are you guys really that weak? Are you guys really that like fickle? But when we look at Palm Sunday, the reason I wanted to just be honest about this today is because I think that we all struggle with the events of Holy Week. Will we follow Jesus on Sunday? Will we even follow Jesus on Friday? Will we follow Jesus on Saturday when there's time of confusion? Because the good news about Holy Week is Sunday is coming. Everything that Jesus promised, everything that Jesus said he would do, he ended up doing. And so everybody that that stood their ground and stayed with Jesus, they were proven, they were vindicated in the end because the tomb is empty. No one is on the cross anymore. Jesus Christ is alive. If you choose to be a fruitful follower, you will not regret it in the end. But if you turn your back at some point, I want you to know that there is still hope for you. Even Peter, the rock, The one Jesus leaned into the most, three times denied Jesus. He thought it was over for him. But when Jesus resurrected, made him a meal, welcomed him back in, gave him another chance. And maybe today you have been following the crowds. You were in when it was nice. You've been out when it got hard. Jesus is saying, look it, I know that there's shame in that. I know maybe you're embarrassed of that, but hey, come back. You're welcome back into the fold. Jesus welcomed everybody back into the fold who confessed their faith in him. The second thing that we learn about fruitless followers is this. Fruitless followers, they fake their growth. So the people of Jesus' day, what we're learning in Holy Week is that they faked devotion to God. Jesus said things like this. He said that they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are actually far from me. And so the next day, Jesus, he comes in on Sunday, then he leaves. 
The next day, Monday, he comes back into the city again, but this time it wasn't so exciting. There was no fanfare, no palm branches, no singing, no dancing. Okay, upon entering, he did something very strange. He walked up to a tree, a tree that appeared to have fruit on it. It had green leaves on it, only to notice that this fig tree was actually barren. There was no fruit on this tree. It looked fruitful, but it wasn't. And so he walked up to the tree, and he cursed the tree. Listen to Matthew 21, 18. It says, In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, if you're new to the Bible, you may be wondering, what does Jesus have against trees? Well, nothing, okay? Jesus likes trees, and that's a good thing for uh, Lamore because we got lots of trees around Lamore. Jesus is for trees. Jesus made trees. But you know what Jesus was mad about when he saw this tree? He was mad because this tree was a fraud. It was a fraud. Jesus is traveling. He sees the tree from a distance. It's green. It looks ripe. It looks good for eating. And so he walks up to the tree to grab a juicy piece of fruit off of this tree only to discover that the tree was a fake, the tree was a phony, the tree gave false hope. It was like driving to Chick-fil-A on a Sunday. Anybody? Anybody been there? You know, for some of you who have had Chick-fil-A, you know what that's like. You're craving a chicken sandwich, you show up on Sunday, and they are closed. Okay, so that's what Jesus experienced. You guys ever felt false hope before? I remember a few years ago, I, I hiked Mount Whitney, just right over there, hiked up Mount Whitney in one day. We got to the top. It was awesome. It was beautiful. We started to descend. On the way down, that's when I started to get kind of tired and hungry. And so I started asking my friend who I was hiking with, how much further? And he kept saying, four miles. And I'd go four miles. How much further? Four miles. And I'd go four more, four more miles. How much further? Four. I'm like, dude, you don't even know where, we, where we're at, do you? False hope. There's nothing worse than false hope. The barren fig tree is an object lesson about fruitlessness and false hope. Because in the Old Testament, in in the books of Jeremiah and Hosea, God called Israel his personal fig tree. He also called Israel his vineyard. He planted them, he loved them, he tended to their needs, he, he did everything that they needed in order to thrive, in order to grow, in order to, 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 to flourish into all that God made them to be. But at the end of the day, they were barren. They appeared to be healthy, they appeared to be strong. But their green leaves were actually just a disguise because there wasn't an ounce of fruit hanging from the tree. That's what happened with these crowds. They looked like they were fruitful on Sunday. But when Jesus returned on Monday, he realized it was all just a show. Fruitless. False hope. Fake growth. Crowds that are in one day and out the next day. Imagine how devastated we would be around here if some of our crops came up empty. Could you imagine that? How devastating would it be to drive around town and to see all of these beautiful trees, green, flourishing, thriving, only to walk up and see there's no pistachio on that tree. 
There's no orange on that tree. There's no almond on that tree. There's no grapes on that vine. That is exactly what was happening with God's people. There is, a, there is a reality with God's people where people can look on the outside like they are in. On the outside, they can appear to love God and be about the things of God. But in reality, it's just lip service because although their lips proclaim him and declare him and say they're with him, their heart is actually far from him. That's what was happening at Holy Week. Holy Week is a reminder for us to take a good look at our hearts. Am I really actually in? Because Jesus cannot be our Savior if he's not also our Lord. Is Jesus your Lord and your Savior? Are you in? Are you in this thing even when it's hard? Well, one of the things that this crowd was doing to fake their growth, to fake their crops is they were faking, they were disguising their fruit with something called religion. Religion. They were faking their growth by projecting perfection. They would follow rules, not not God's rules, man-made rules. They would wear certain clothes. They would talk in certain ways, kind of like what I was doing as a freshman in high school. They were projecting, because religion is this. Religion is about looking good on the outside. Religion is about making others think that you're something that maybe you're not. You want to have this certain appearance. You want to be liked. You want to be thought of as holy and good and righteous. And so you do these certain things to appear good on the outside. And that's the kind of atmosphere that Jesus was walking into. He was walking into a very religious environment where people looked good on the outside. But on the inside, their hearts were so far from God, they were actually just barren fig trees. Listen to what he says in Matthew 23. So this is all Holy Week. This is just on uh, Wednesday that Jesus says this. He says, woe to you, religious people, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, But on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and all kinds of wickedness. Man, Holy Week was a crazy time in Jesus' life because Holy Week, Jesus held no punches back. Jesus was not about trying to to win people over by by fluffy messages on Holy Week. Jesus came during Holy Week and he was was just saying, hey, this is who I am. Are you in or are you out? I'm going to go to the cross for you. I'm going to raise for your salvation. I'm going to come back one day in power. Yeah, right now I'm coming as a a lamb, but don't worry. I'm going to return again as a lion. The question is this, are you in or are you out? Do you trust me? Do you not? Do you love me? Where are you at? Where are you at? And so Jesus, he went up to the religious folks and he said, look it, guys, you look great, but I know the real you. I know behind this mask is actually a lot of greed. I know behind this mask is actually a lot of selfishness. 
I know behind this mask is actually a lot of pride. You're trying to look humble, but really on the inside, it's all about all eyes on you, everybody looking up to you, everybody wanting to be you, about setting yourself up as as higher or better than others. I see the real you. You're like a whitewashed tomb, which looks beautiful on the outside. It's painted. It's great. It's it's well-crafted, and it looks so amazing, but on the inside, it's rotten. It's rotten. Now, these kind of messages from Jesus, they they weren't just to crush people's spirits. They they were delivered so that people can be like, oh my goodness, I am doing that. And and it would show, you know what, God, I do need you. I do need a savior because I'm trying to do this on my own and I can't do it on my own and I keep coming up short. But instead of actually confessing, instead of surrendering, instead of saying, you know what, fine, I'm done. I'm taking off the mask. I'm going to be real. Yes, I've been blowing it. Yes, I've been trusting in myself. Instead of getting real, they would keep the mask on. They would double down and they would continue to be hypocrites. And so Jesus, he called them hypocrites, which comes from this Greek term, uh, hypokratos, and it means play actor. In Jesus' day, the word hypocrite simply meant actor. It wasn't a bad word. It was just a word that you would use to describe somebody who would come up on a stage and act out of play. So we had Lamore High School, right, last week. Mamma Mia, anybody see that last week? Let's give it up for Lamore High School. Yes, we've got some great people in here. So last week, up on the stage, those were high schoolers. They were pretending to be adults. My daughter was so confused. Like, wait, what? Dad, that guy has a beard. There's no way he's in high school. Yeah, some kids do have beards in high school, just not your daddy, okay? Um, (laughs) Acting is great on a stage. Acting is great behind a screen. But acting in life is the quickest way to being unfulfilled, to being far from God, to having fake and phony relationships, And some of us, we live, because of the the environment that we live in today, we've been trained to put on a mask and to act and act and act and pretend and pretend and pretend. And Jesus is saying this to you guys today, to me too, to all of us. He said, just take off the mask. I didn't come because you were perfect. I came because you needed me. I didn't come because you have a perfect marriage and you're a perfect dad or a perfect mom or your health is per. I came because none of those things are perfect in your life. I came to bring you hope. I came to bring you healing. I came to bring you grace. I came to bring you love. I came to bring you mercy. But you're not going to receive it if you hide behind the mask. Listen, everybody, it's time to take off the mask. Jesus came because he invites in the real you. The real you. And it's hard to be real in today's age because we've learned to disguise ourselves. We disguise ourselves with Photoshop and filters. We disguise ourselves with, per- with perfect facades on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Like whatever, the, whatever we want to project at the world is what we get to project at the world. But Jesus, every single day, he sees the real you. He sees the real you, and he loves you. He sees the things that you hide. He sees the things that you worry about. He sees the things that keep you up at night. He sees the things that make you angry. He sees the things that you regret. He sees the real you, and he loves the real you, and he's inviting you. You know what? Just take off the mask. Take off the mask. You don't need to pretend to have fruit 
I will give you fruit. I will make you strong. I will build you up. Just trust me. Trust me on Sunday, but also trust me on Friday when I'm on the cross. Trust me on Sunday when everybody's about me, but also trust me on Friday when everybody turns their back on you. Trust me in both times because guess what? Sunday is coming. You guys believe that, church? Sunday is coming. Holy Week was leading to Resurrection Sunday. It was a test. Are you going to be with me all week long? Are you going to be with me on Sunday when everyone's excited? And then are you going to be with me on Monday when everyone's back to normal life? And then are you going to be with me again on Thursday at the Passover? Or are you going to be like Judas who goes and does a, de a deal with the devil? And then when it comes to Friday and all everybody who is close to me turns their back and runs away, are you going to be among those who run away? And then on Saturday when the world is doubting, because I am in the grave. Even though I told you I would come, that I'd be delivered over to the officials, that I'd go to a cross, that I'd die, that I'd be buried, that I'd raised three days later. I told you this over and over again. The story, okay, we know the story. You guys know, you guys know the end of the story. They knew the end of the story, but they still, it was a test. Are you gonna trust me even in that time of doubt? Saturday is probably the hardest time in the story because everyone's wondering, man, were we fooled? Maybe the crowds were right when they turned their back. Maybe we were the fools. Only to discover that on Sunday morning, when people go to the tomb, the tomb is empty. No, you weren't a fool. No, it's not a lie. No, it's not a joke. No, you won't regret it. I want to encourage you this week, this Holy Week, be with Jesus Sunday to Sunday. Sunday when it's awesome, Sunday, Friday when it's hard, and ready to rejoice again on, on Saturday. And Sunday. We know the end of the story. Pretending to be perfect will never make us happy. That's why Jesus says, happy are the poor in spirit. Happy are the ones who realize they need grace. Happy are the ones who realize they need Jesus. And when you realize you need Jesus and when you receive Jesus like a child, you're with him from beginning to end. Because you understand him. You understand what he endured for you. You understand him coming into Jerusalem. You understand him dying on a cross. He did it for you. And so, but one thing you got to wrestle through today is this. Fruitless followers, they fear the crowd. Fruitless followers, they fake their growth. I want to encourage you, church, and I know this is where you're at. And I, I hope you're encouraged today. I'm not trying to come down on people. It's just a, just a reminder of Holy Week, and it's this. I, I, I know that you are people of fruit. This is not a barren church. This is not a tree that it looks green on the outside but is missing fruit when you get up close because week after week we are seeing growth. We are seeing life change. We are seeing people find victory in Christ, and that is because the Spirit is actually alive here. You are actually alive in the Lord. Lord, and the work that Jesus has started in you, he's going to bring it through to completion. Trust him on si Sunday, trust him on Friday, because the resurrection is coming. And so in conclusion, as we close it out right now, we're going to sing one song, but I want to give you these four takeaways. Number one is this, take off the mask. Take off the mask. Number two, allow others to take off their mask with you. 
Allow others to be real with you. Religion happens when we feel like we have to project perfection. One way we could stop that is by saying, it's okay to be the real you around me. It's okay to take the mask off. Number three, practice what you preach. If you're saying Hosanna on Sunday, say it on Monday again when you get to work. And number three, number four, share the real Jesus. Easter's coming. I want to encourage you guys, invite your friends. We're going to have an amazing Sunday for you guys in here. We're going to celebrate the risen King because we know that the tomb is empty. There's no one on the cross. We know that there is hope. There is hope for those who are hurting, hope for those who are lost. And we know he is risen. And we want to share the real Jesus with this community this Sunday. So share him, proclaim it, share it on social media. Get, do what you can to make the most of Jesus this, this uh, Resurrection Sunday. And then finally, fast with us on Thursday. Thursday, we're going to fast at 5.30 p.m. We're going to break that fast on Friday at 5.30 p.m. And the reason we're going to fast is because we're going to, we're going to focus our attention, focus our hearts on the Lord. And we're going to lift up whatever, we, whatever you're feeling like you need to work out with God, whatever burdens or, or things that you're struggling through. Take that time that day to focus your attention on the Lord and say, God, I want to be with you on Friday, even when it's hard, even when it costs me, because I know what it costs you so that I could be made one with the Father. And I want to be one with you on this day. So fast with us. I hope you guys are excited. I know that I am. Let's pray and we'll close with one song. God, I thank you for this room, this 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 uh, amazing church. I thank you, Jesus, for... Um, being willing to to go to the cross for us. I thank you, Jesus, for coming in on Sunday and, and not giving up with us, giving up on us even when we turn our back on you on Friday. I thank you, Jesus, that you conquered sin, that you conquered Satan, that you conquered the grave. I thank you that we have hope, that we have hope in this life, hope in the life to come. And I pray that we would be a church that proclaims that hope and that lives in that hope. And that if anyone's here today hiding behind a mask, I pray right now, right here in this moment, you would begin to free them up from feeling like they have to be perfect all the time and hold it all together because you, Jesus, were perfect in their place. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Why don't you stand? Let's sing one more song together.